We are in this series on one another and starting started with this idea of loving one another, that overarching theme and uh, a few sermons then on humbly serving one another, forgiving one another. And, uh, and then last week, encouraging, and we find ourselves this week with exhort one another. We find that in Hebrews 3.13. I'm also, if you want to look at Colossians 3, if you, if you have a Bible app on your phone or want to look it up, we're going to look as well at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. I'm sorry, 12 through 16. Uh, that's Colossians 3. We have also the Hebrews 3 that's printed in the worship guide. Um, uh, and we're going to look at this idea of exhorting one another, admonishing one another is a word that we see in uh, Colossians chapter 3. I, I don't know how many of you guys are, are sushi fans. Uh, I really enjoy sushi. Uh, until recently, I was the only person in my family that liked it, and so I just haven't eaten a lot of sushi. I grew up in Memphis. Uh, it wasn't known for sushi. There was, however... Uh, very near my house, and still I think they do this, it's a, a BP gas station that also serves sushi. Um, so you wonder why I'm not into uh, sushi, that's part of it. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum is a place uh, in Tokyo, and about 10 years ago there was a documentary called uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and it's a fascinating documentary. Uh, I uh, encourage you to watch it if you haven't seen it. It's really interesting. Uh, it's probably on one of the streaming services, Netflix or uh, uh, Amazon Prime or one of those, who knows. And um, it, it follows uh, this uh, sushi chef in Tokyo who has like the most, or at least one of the most celebrated, if not the most celebrated sushi restaurant. Um, it's in a, uh, it's at a subway stop and it's tiny but it takes, a, it's really hard to get reservations. It's incredibly expensive, but it's apparently amazing. And there's so much about it that's fascinating. But I'll tell you the thing that probably stood out to me the most, and I don't remember the exact number of, of years because it's, it's been quite some time since I watched it, but he had an apprentice that had been with him for years. And, and the comment was, I can't remember if it was eight, 10 or 12. I feel like it was eight, 10 or 12. And that's still a big, uh, you know, discrepancy, but eight is a long time if it's just eight. But that was how long it took for him to apprentice or, or someone to apprentice to be able to be ready to go out on their own and open their own sushi restaurant. Eight to 10 years of apprenticeship in order to make sushi. And, and the idea of apprenticeship is not something that we engage in as much as. Uh, happened in the, the, the olden days, you know, the blacksmith would have an apprentice and then that would be the guy's job for the rest of his life. But, but we still recognize that there is value in being with somebody who uh, is doing a job and learning from them and being able to do it. So you think about this sushi apprentice that he is, uh, he is preparing sushi himself with Jiro and, and Jiro is, is able to say, uh, oh, wait, you're, you're, you're doing this incorrectly, or great job on this, uh, and they'd be able to do it together, right? I do think that is uh, somewhat of a picture that we get, this doing it together, learning from one another, this idea of uh, exhorting one another, doing the Christian life together, moving toward a, a, a particular goal together and, and encouraging and exhorting 
There's, there's an idea of both challenging and encouraging in the midst of this. And we're building somewhat on what we talked about last week with encouraging and building one another up. There's certainly a lot of overlap, uh, but hopefully we're expanding on that idea as we look at Hebrews 3 and Colossians 3. That as we move toward this particular goal, and, and the context of both Hebrews 3 and chapter 4 is the idea of entering into the rest of, uh, of God. That is, the, the, he offers us rest. He rested on the seventh day. He offers us rest. Uh, Psalm 55 is quoted right before uh, the verses read. And this, this challenge to um, continue to believe what is true in order to enter into the rest. Now for them, in the Old Testament, the idea of entering rest was the promised land as they had been saved from slavery out of Egypt and had been given the promised land that as they moved into that, they would have rest. This was the, they would have flourishing. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews here and other parts of the Bible make it clear that there's a promise of rest for us. We remember the story of Scripture is that the, that the beginning is creation. God created the world and it was good and right. The fall came in Genesis 3. So very quickly in the biblical story, the fall came. There was rebellion against God, brokenness and sin uh, and, and mess entered into the world. And then he begins this long work of redemption. That's most of the biblical story. That's where we live now. But there's the promise of and the picture of the rest to come. Uh, the, the glorification to come. The consummation of all things. We talked last week uh, and encouraged one another that there's this day of justice to come. Sometimes the day of judgment. But it's when God makes all things right. And, uh, and, and that's the rest that we have to look forward to. There's a goal of headed in that direction. And in the meantime, we're moving in that direction, and we use the word sanctification in the Bible. That is to be more and more putting sin away, rebellion against God, living in ways that we weren't created to live, missing the mark that he's called us to, more and more putting that away, and turning to be made more like Jesus, being made more like Christ. That is this biblical idea of sanctification. And so we're all on that journey together, and what we find is that we are to encourage and exhort one another is a part of that process. We do it together. We apprentice with one another. And it's not only apprenticing with somebody who is older and has more experience, so I think that is incredibly valuable and true, but it's with one another, and that's part of what we find here. So as you hear all of these words uh, that we're talking about, exhorting one another, admonishing one another, teaching one another, um, as you hear, there's warning for one another and encouragement for one another. It is, it, it, my encouragement is to think of this as something that we all do with everyone else in the body of Christ. So it's not just something for the pastor to do or the elders to do. It's something that we all do with one another. And to that end, we find, uh, after my long introduction, only two points, warning and encouragement. Warning and encouragement. Uh, let me pray. Lord, we do pray that we would, as we think about exhorting one another, admonishing one another, encouraging one another, that you would meet us here and that the power of your spirit would exhort us and admonish us and encourage us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part that we see of this exhortation is is that it comes with a warning. So again, we're thinking about what does it look like to warn one another. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers. And, and the idea here, uh, just to be clear, is the New Testament is expanding 
the, the way in which all are in, included in the body of Christ. So yes, uh, it feels problematic that just as brothers, this means brothers and sisters. That's very clearly what the writer of Hebrews has in mind. This is for the whole body. Uh, there have been divisions broken down between Jew and Gentile, uh, between uh, male and female. All are invited into this process. So this is brothers and sisters. We could spend a long time talking about that, but this is for the whole body. This is for brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, lest there be any of you uh, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, lest this be the case. So there is this warning that there might be an evil way in you, that there might be a falling away from the living God. We see in verse 13, there is this this warning of the deceitfulness of sin. There is this recognition that sin is real, that it deceives. This goes back to the, the very first sin in Genesis 3, that the problem was that the serpent took the truth and he twisted it and he deceived uh, Adam and Eve. And they bought into the deception. This is the very nature of sin, of brokenness, of mess, that it deceives us and that we don't fully understand it. So there's a a need to be aware, to be warned that there is a problem, that there is something that we need to avoid. And and ultimately, the the, the problem is that that unbelieving heart leads us away from the living God. Again and again and again, what the scripture is telling us is that what God wants for us is relationship with him, with the living God, that he wants us to experience flourishing. And so the warning is that if, if you fall in that direction, that if you, if you go down that path, that what happens is you're deceived and that you miss out on a life of flourishing. You miss out on life with the living God. So he's, he's calling out a very real issue there, that, that we need to be aware that there is something wrong in the world, that it could ultimately lead toward missing out on the rest that, the, the rest that he offers, the comfort that he offers in the end, the things being made right. <clears throat> That's the, the context, the context being led away from the living God. Now, there's, there's questions that we have that, that naturally come up in the midst of this uh, because there is a warning here, right? About those that seem to be following Jesus and walk away. And 1 Timothy 4, 1 tells us that there are those who will walk away from following Jesus. Those that appear to be his followers, that they turn away from it, that they reject it. And we maybe know people like that. And I hope that... that uh, that our hearts are sad at that. Not that I want us to be sad, but that, uh, that the reality that that it, it happens is a sad reality. And the mystery of the scripture, and we could spend a long time talking about uh, this reality, that the fact that that happens, but that at the same time, there are these amazing promises from God, reasons to have confidence, we see in verse 14. Because we find all throughout scripture this, this theological Idea that we have we, we define as perseverance of the saints. That is that those God has called, those God has he's worked in their hearts, that they will persevere to the end, that they will experience that rest. And that's part of this resting in this confidence. There's reason to be confident. And we find that in Philippians 1 and Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, that we can't be separated from the love of God. And we find it in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, all those that the Father has given me, nobody can snatch them away. And we see it in John 6. And, uh, and we find promises again and again that we should have hope and confidence in uh, who God is and his work in our lives. And we live sometimes with, uh, we, we want things to fit into our minds better than they do. 
So we're living with a little bit of the warning and also the promise and the confidence that we have in, in the word. So that we don't find ourselves in this place of just being fearful of sin and its implications. We're aware that it's a, that it's a problem, but we don't just live in fear. We're going to get to that in a second in the, um, the encouragement that comes here. But I, I think about it, uh, one of the illustrations that came to mind is uh, I, I ride a motorcycle. And I, I love it. It's super fun. Um, but I do so well aware that um, it comes with some level of danger. If I, if I get hit by a vehicle, it's, it's not going to go well, right? I mean, I always wear a helmet. I also, I, I, I ride defensively. Like, I, I ride aware of that reality that it would not go well for me. And I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what if that car doesn't see me and they decide to change lanes? Or what might they do? Or what if another car is coming from a different, like, where could cars be coming from? Like, I'm constantly riding always riding with that in mind. What could happen? What, what could these different cars do that I'm, I'm not uh, seeing? Now, I, I know, and this is the rally of everything, it's not 100% guaranteed that there's not going to be an issue. That's true in every activity we experience in life. But it doesn't, I can tell you from experience, it does not negate the blast that I have riding a motorcycle. It's, it's not that I'm so focused on everything that goes wrong that I'm just riding scared. That wouldn't either be fun or really safe, actually. Uh, me thinking in that way actually gives me more confidence to enjoy my ride, uh, aware of the reality of, of what, could, what, what could occur. And this is, like, yeah, the idea of sin is not a fun idea. The idea of consequences of sin is not a fun idea. It's not something that I love to think about all the time. And, and I certainly don't want to overly focus on it so that that's my only focus. That's not what we find happening here. But recognizing that it is real and that there is a role that we have to, to warn one another. So as I think about people who have, that I know, friends even, who have, who have walked away from, from Jesus... I think about okay, how does that happen and, 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 and what could have uh, potentially uh, kept that person from walking uh, away. And, and I do think this idea of admonishing one another, of exhorting one another, we have to think about it in, from both sides. That is one, that we open ourselves up to exhortation. We open ourselves up to that we're looking for relationships and opportunities to be in the body of Christ so that, that we would have friends that we know would speak into our lives if they see problems. That would say, you know what? I, I, I see you uh, going in this direction and, and it doesn't seem helpful. We, we, we would recognize that Christian or not. And a good friend would say, I, I see that you're, you're, you're drinking too much and it's not helpful. It's going in a bad direction. Uh, to love one another would be to, to speak truth, to exhort somebody away from that, Right? Uh, and so there are all kinds of ways in which we're able to do that with one another, that we would open ourselves up to that, to relationships that would be able to speak into our lives. That we would even go to people and say, hey, if you, I, I want you to be the, the kind of brother or sister with me that if you see me going in an unhelpful direction, that you would tell me, that you would call me out. Because when I see those folks that have ultimately walked away, it was one Often a slow and gradual process, and it always included a process of isolation, where they would tune other people out, that they would turn away from friends that would speak into their lives. 
doesn't happen like that. We all have doubts and questions. Like, this is not a suppressed doubt, suppressed question, suppressed, um, you know, the, the things that you are dealing with. This is actually engage others with those things. And so we need to open ourselves up to that. And then we need to also seek to be a good friend, to be a brother or sister in Christ and, and say when we see something going on. We need to speak into others' lives. And that we do so not only with that warning, but it's warning away from danger in order to move toward flourishing and truth and goodness and encouragement. And that's the second point. Because there is this exhort one another every day, as long as the day is called today, which is every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ. And he goes on to talk about the, the confidence that we have, the hope that we have in him. We share in Christ. We, we share in, the, in, in relationship with the living God. And what do we share with him? We share in his life and his teaching and his proclamations. We share in his death, death to sin, death to self. We talked about that back when we were talking about humbly serving one another, willing to sacrifice for one another, right? But we also share in the resurrection. And we share in being a part of his family, So that we use this language, brothers and sisters, it's that we're invited into relationship with one another. And yes, to talk about one anothering in all of these sermons is to recognize that oftentimes the people in the body of Christ don't have a lot in common. But they have the most significant thing in common, Jesus and relationship with him. But there might be disagreements on all kinds of other things that the body of Christ draws together. We look at the church we can look at it in a, in a small way, in the way that it draws people together who are different in one body here, even at Fountain Square Presbyterian Church. We can see in the city how the body of Christ is different. But we look around the world, and the church that we used to think of as uh, centered in the West is now very much centered in uh, Africa and South America and Asia. The church is very much people who are different uh, around the world. It is, it is not uh, an American. It is not a, a Western institution. Uh, but that causes us to think about what does it look like to, to love one another, to, to learn from one another, to be uh, exhorted and to exhort. And there's a sense in which that happens in individual relationships. It also happens in learning from Christians around the world that we would read and hear from and maybe listen to sermons of uh, Christians around the world. Because part of this encouragement and sharing in Christ is recognizing that we're, we're not going to, this idea of warning isn't that, oh, we're just going to get it all right. And if, as long as we warn somebody away from sin, that uh, everything's going to be great. We just get the, the list right. Don't do that and do this. That's often how we think about the warning. That's how we think about the sin, right? But it's, it's the fact that we're welcoming one another. Romans 15 verse 7 says, welcome one another. Right after it's talked about the way that we engage and care for those who have failed, which will include us. All of us will fail, even in these endeavors. And, and yet we welcome one another, yet we exhort one another, yet even as we've messed up, we can exhort, and others can exhort us who have themselves messed up. It's part of the beauty of the gospel. And then we see it play out here in Colossians 3. Move back to Colossians 3, verse 12 through 16. It, it, this, this idea of the way that we relate to one another 
Uh, a lot of the sermons that we've done over the last few weeks are covered in uh, these first few verses. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. So things that we've already talked about, that humility, that forgiveness, that service, that love, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And skip down to uh, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. We don't like to be admonished. That's that we need to open ourselves up ourselves to being admonished, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This picture here is one of inviting, not just away from the sin, but inviting to celebrating God together. So we're enjoying the richness of the word, verse 16 here. And this goes to this biblical theme of the value of the Word of God. You go back to the Psalms, Psalm 119 in particular, Psalm 19 as well, that, that the Word of God is this thing that is beautiful, and it is, it's better than gold or silver. It's better than honey, this, this delicacy of the time, right? Like it's, it, There's nothing better than the Word of God, that it would be rich to us, and that we would dwell in it together, that we would experience that, that we would experience relationship with the living God, and we would do it together in a way that we would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, that we worship together, and that we would do so with a thankfulness of heart. There's an invitation here to experience the joy of the Lord together. So it's not just a warning from, yes, it's a warning from that, but it's because that draws us away from the living God, so that we're invited into something different. We're, if we exhort someone away from sin, we're, we're, we're exhorting them to the beauty of what Christ offers us. That's the role that we get to play with one another. Experiencing that thankfulness. What are the ways in which that plays out? Tim Keller in his book on preaching talks about the idea that proclaiming the word, so enjoying the richness of the word together, is something that happens in scripture a lot in different contexts. And, and it really, we can see it, different words used and uh, in different contexts. So that uh, he categorizes it in three different ways. One is the preaching of the word that happens in corporate worship on a weekly basis. And that there is a, a great deal of significance to that, that it, that it matters, but that, uh, that does not exist without just one-on-one exhortation, proclamation of the word, just in relationship with each other that we would talk about what the word says, the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ, the beauty of his work in our lives and in this world, that we would, we would engage one another just in our relationships with the word of God. And then there's a, also like a middle category that comes with small groups and uh, other kinds of discipleship opportunities. Um, we're, we're talking as we work through a, a vision for our church of uh, of growing our, what we would call, uh, discipleship opportunities. So doing more things like the Sunday schools that we've done in the past. And my encouragement would be uh, to prioritize those things. And I know that there are actually a, a number of folks that haven't yet gotten in, uh, plugged into a community group. Some of you have told me you, you want to, but as we are trying to organize and figure all that out, uh, we are having to say, wait, as we work through those details. But 
that we would continue to prioritize gathering in small groups with one another, that we would have those opportunities to exhort one another, admonish one another, teach one another. There are all kinds of ways that we we do this. And and it would be a mistake to put the weight on uh, on preaching itself or even on the the places where we're taught. Otherwise, it, it happens in everyday relationships. The conversation here is exhorting one another and admonishing one another, both in Colossians and in Hebrews, that it is a you do this, plural, you, the people of God. Not, this is not a singular you, so it's not a Dan, you do this, or Matt, you do this. It's a you, the body of Christ, do this together. You're all called to this. All of us are called to this. And invited and blessed to be able to do it. So the weight doesn't fall on any one person, even if they have a, a role to do it in a unique way. Even if I have a unique role in preaching the word regularly, we all have a role to play in proclaiming the word to one another, exhorting one another, admonishing one another, teaching one another. And we're thankful that as that is the case, that the weight of it doesn't fall on me or even on the elders. It falls on Jesus. But sharing in him is exactly that, that he's the one at work so that we can have that confidence, Hebrews 3, verse 14, we can have a confidence in him and in his work, knowing that, again, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes, but our confidence is in him. The benediction that I gave last week, now I'll use the same one again this week, comes from uh, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, verse 9, no, sorry, verse 24. And it's this encouragement. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. This idea of being kept blameless, of being sanctified, there's a role that we have to play with one another. But ultimately, it's his work. He's the one who sanctifies us. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is his work that we look. The weight falls on him. We look to him. We trust in him. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you have uh, water skied or tried to water ski, uh, but it, the, the way that you should be taught is always uh, let the boat pull you up. So what you do is you get out in the water, you, you, you bend your knees and you hold your skis together and you keep your arms straight and you just let the boat pull you up. And if you've ever tried it and you've tried to either stand up on your own very quickly or you've tried to pull yourself up, you fall down. It does not work. It, you just rely on the power of the boat. It has to pull you up. And uh, every illustration falls apart at some point. And yet... We do this all the time. We try to sanctify ourselves. We try to be uh, better on our own. We try to get and earn the love of Jesus. And when we do, we're going to fall on our face because we're going to mess up. We rely on him who is the one who sanctifies us. You who is, uh, he who is faithful will surely do it. That's the hope that we have. And so the question is, in light of that, what does it look like to open ourselves up to exhortation or to look to exhort others? Fundamentally, we have, to, we have to root ourselves in the word of God that would dwell richly in us. Uh, we need to know it. 
so that we can encourage one another with that. That's part of exhorting, teaching, and admonishing in Colossians 3. That, what does it look like for us to know it? We talked about last week in Acts 20 that it's the word of God that, that builds us uh, up. We can see here in this passage in Hebrews where there's this conversation of rest, and this is all a part of this same conversation. Just a, the next chapter, chapter 4, we come to this famous verse that many of us know. If um, we grew up in the church, maybe we memorized it. 4, verse 12, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerful, living and active for us. It's the way that we uh, are able to be shaped by the Lord and how he allows us to shape others. Uh, My encouragement, we continue to have the daily reading plans. If you don't know where to start, grab one of those daily reading plans out on the table. Just a great place to, okay, where am I going to start to spend time in the word of God to to grow in my understanding of it? Grab one of those and then find somebody to talk about it. Join with somebody else and talk about what you're reading and learning. Look for opportunities for those kinds of relationships. Think about this. What would it look like to go to just one other person in the church and say, I'd love to get together and encourage one another, exhort one another, open ourselves up to uh, that reality. Let's, let's get together once a month and, and talk about this. We can come up with programs and plans for the church, and my encouragement is to think about prioritizing those and engaging them. But there, there's a, a level at which your discipleship, you, you, you can take responsibility for and engage others in, in that way, uh, encouraging and exhorting one another, having conversations about the gospel with one another. We're, we're often too worried about seeming too Christian or too cheesy or whatever it might be to talk about the things of Jesus together. We can talk forever about the Colts or uh, everybody loves to talk about Auburn football with me or coffee and how you brew it and where your favorite is and all those things but to talk about Jesus and the word of God that it might dwell richly in us that that's the way that we I, those other things incredibly valuable we, we're, we're supposed to experience life together I'm not saying we don't talk about those things to be clear we do we also talk about Jesus and allowing his work to be the confidence that we have to move forward in this life, to be made more like him, to experience the living God together.